Well, this morning, uh, with our theme of creating and being creation, I thought I would talk a little bit about food, because it's a cruel thing to do to people right before lunch, to mention food in worship, but uh, it holds your attention, I think, as we anticipate both the meal at this table and the one to come after. Um, It's my theory that when people approach the kitchen and begin to make food for themselves or their family or their friends, that there are really only two kinds of people. Um, The first kind of these people are the ones who love to spend as long as possible creating. The ones who spend all day in the kitchen, really it starts before the kitchen. They like to hunt and gather ingredients. There's sometimes farmer's markets involved. Uh, They spend hours prepping and dicing and marinating and preheating. And when the creation is completed and ready to be received, uh, it really needs to be posted on Instagram before you could say that it, was, it happened at all. So it's a work of art, this kind of creating in the kitchen. And then there's the other kind of cooks. And I will admit that I place myself in this category. This is those of us who think about food right about the moment we get hungry. And then we wander into the kitchen stare before open refrigerators, freezers, and we ask things like, I wonder if we have any Hot Pockets left in the back of the freezer. Um, those of us in this category, we, we cook, but we don't always start from scratch or farmer's markets. We, we feel a little more comfortable starting with a box of something or a mix, maybe a takeout menu. Um, so my, my philosophy around this is something like this. If God made a mix that you could begin with, it's his way of telling me I shouldn't have to start from scratch. Praise God from whom all Betty Crocker flows. <laughs> I'm the kind of person who thinks when you tell me you're having real macaroni and cheese for dinner, that I will see a blue box somewhere in your kitchen and the fluorescent orange powder that goes with it. So um, how many of you know that every marriage is a cross-cultural marriage of some kind? Two people, whether they come from across the street or across the world, always come from different backgrounds. So one of those cross-cultural events in our home is that when we got married, I discovered that my husband Jim came from the other people. And his people's motto was, uh, if I could make that from scratch, why would I buy a mix for that? And when we were first married, I discovered, I thought it was bizarre, albeit tasty, that when he set out to make macaroni and cheese, he began with macaroni and real cheese, not powder. And it was like a whole new world was opening up in our kitchen as I witnessed him making also from scratch biscuits and ice cream, homemade ice cream, and bread and things Things got a little weird when I found out he made his own granola bars and that he made his own granola. And I'm not even really sure where you start, like twigs, (laughs) pebbles. I don't know where granola comes from, but friends, it is good. Um, So I have discovered an actual theological reason that I don't start from scratch. Isn't it good to back up your habits with theology? It's actually a good excuse, if not anything else. It's that um, none of us ever can really create anything from scratch. Did you know that? Uh, There's a quote from Carl Sagan that I like where he says, if you want to make an apple pie from scratch, 
you must first create the universe, right? If anybody wants to start from scratch, if they want to create from the beginning, really, did you create that apple pie if you didn't create the apple? You and I never really start from the beginning because everything that we begin with was made already. All of our ingredients are actually finished recipes that God made from a recipe that began a long, long time ago. And you know it, and you heard it read for us here beautifully from around the world. The recipe begins like this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And one thing you might notice in those two verses is that the Holy Spirit is the first person of the Trinity ever named in the Bible. Anybody tells you the Holy Spirit is some lesser part of God that should not be emphasized or named? Mention that the Holy Spirit actually shows up first in Scripture. If the Bible were a movie and you watched it all the way to the end and the credits rolled saying, in order of appearance, there would be the Holy Spirit's name right at the top. So the Spirit gets in on the act of creation right there at the beginning. Genesis 1 says that a Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, was hovering over the waters. So what does that mean? Hovering. That God hovers over the waters of creation. Um, Hovering is an interesting word. It's this uh, brooding or, or fluttering lovingly. Um, it's a word of winged nurture. And we read it again in Deuteronomy 32, where it actually refers to a bird like an eagle that stirs up its nest and hovers over its young, right? A, a parental act, a nurturing and brooding and hatching picture. So that same action is what we can picture when we think of the Holy Spirit hovering the bird hovering over its nest, expecting new life to hatch. And and here's the Holy Spirit hovering with this word over creation, this action, bringing forth life where once there was no life. Uh, There's a phenomenon uh, for any woman who's ever brought a child home called nesting. And it means that some biological imperative takes over and requires women to create space before a baby comes home, whether through birth or adoption. I've heard adoptive parents talk about this as well. This insane thing takes over that says, you've got to get ready. You've got to get everything ready. And it makes people who don't love to clean, clean. And and, and people who have never folded little tiny clothes before begin meticulously folding little tiny clothes. I, I talked to a friend just yesterday who's expecting a baby in December, And she said that over the weekend, she had this strong imperative that they had to plant a tree in their yard right now, as if this is the season to plant a tree in their yard. And so they went to nursery after nursery around Lexington and had to find the right tree and get it in the ground before the baby comes. It was this sense that new life is coming, and we've got to get ready. Something has to happen. So, So the Spirit comes before creation begins and hovers. It's like God is nesting almost. Um, And what we read there is that the earth was formless and void and darkness was over the surface of the deep. So 
three things that God begins addressing there in creation are this. God is bringing order out of chaos. God is filling emptiness, and God is lighting darkness. And of those three things, the one that happens first of all, of course, is the words, let there be light, the lighting of darkness, the first thing that God does to create space and place for creation. And then what happens next, remember we've got lighting darkness, we also need to order chaos and fill emptiness. What happens next is one of the most beautiful, poetic descriptions as orderly and beautiful as creation itself, where God begins building these environments on days one, two, and three, and then filling them with inhabitants, placing life in the spaces that he's created on days four, five, and six. And and if you line them up, you find they line up perfectly, environments on days one, two, and three, inhabitants on four, five, and six. They line up directly. So for example, Uh, Day two, what you find there is God separates the waters above and the waters below. Do you remember that part of Genesis 1? And then if you read a little further, you find that the day that lines up there is day five. So one and four, two and five come together. What happens on day five? Well, God brings fish to inhabit the waters below and birds whose inhabitants of the sky, the the waters, the created space above. This is a a cool pattern, and if you'd like, you can do your own detailed observation of Genesis 1. Make a chart, line it up. Um, All of these environments, the nesting spaces, filled now with the hatching of creation through inhabitants. They line up one by one by one, and finally on day seven, Sabbath. Uh, Not an empty space, but a space where God goes to inhabit first and invites us in, a space where he longs to commune with us. This beautiful um, painting of creation that's made here in Genesis 1, it really mirrors how beautiful creation itself is. And, And then you have to ask yourself, so what happened? What happened, right? I mean, everything is beautiful and right and blessed. The rest of Genesis happened, right? I mean, we have the ordering of creation, and then we have the human inhabitants, the disordering of creation. We get, we get just three chapters in before the crash, the fall, and Genesis shows us how quickly sin can escalate and spread. I mean, to go from the eating of a fruit to the murder of a sibling that quickly— That's pretty fast. And it continues to escalate and escalate until it seems like all of humanity is complicit in this brokenness. And here's something I want to show you from the story of Noah when we find really it all come crashing down, all of creation reacting to the sin around it, coming unglued almost, unformed. In Genesis 7, we read these words. In the 600th year of Noah's life, there's something, by the way, In the 600th year of Noah's life, on the 17th day of the second month, on that day, all the springs of the great deep burst forth, and the floodgates of the heavens were opened, and rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So do you see the imagery there? Not just a few water droplets, not just a little shower, uh, not just raining cats and dogs, not just rain at all, but this picture 
that there is water below, right? And water above, the springs of the great deep, the floodgates of the heavens, and that they're released. That order, the space that God made there is reversed. And they crash together, not just raindrops, but a disordering of creation, reacting to the disorder that the inhabitants have brought through sin. This is an actual reversal of day two of creation, that separation of waters above and below to create good space, good environment, a nest, a space for people to live. It becomes chaotic. It becomes uninhabitable, as if things in creation are becoming undone unglued. But then you take a look at the very next chapter, uh, Genesis 8, beginning with verse 8. Then he sent out a dove to see if the water had receded from the surface of the ground, but the dove could find nowhere to perch because there was water all over the surface of the earth. So it returned to Noah in the ark. He reached out his hand and took the dove and brought it back to himself in the ark. And then he waited how many days? He waited seven more days, isn't that great? And he sent out the dove from the ark. And when the dove returned to him in the evening, there in its beak was a freshly plucked olive leaf. Then Noah knew that the water had receded from the earth. So here we have chaotic, swirling waters, an uninhabitable space um, that's not good for life at all, and then what, a bird a dove hovering, taking its place over chaos, hovering over the waters looking to bring a sign of life. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Hovering over the restoration of all of creation, the Holy Spirit present here in the start of the new covenant. And then many of the words and commands given to Noah and his family, you know this, echo the words that God gave to Adam and Eve in the first creation. It's God saying, nothing can stop me. I will start this recipe all over again. So this is a beautiful mirroring image where we find God again saying seven days and new creation. So let's look a little further down the road, like head out of Genesis and take a long trip into the New Testament. And spoiler alert, you know this, that God's ultimate plan to restore the brokenness of creation comes in the incarnation of his son, Jesus Christ. And we know, too, that the son is also present in creation way back at the very beginning. John's gospel says he was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him, not one thing came into being. So what happens when the son incarnate in the flesh shows up on the scene of a very broken creation? Um, the world's not perhaps experiencing literal rain and waters crashing from above and below, but the brokenness that we see around us in this world has destroyed the order and beauty that God meant. It's threatened the inhabitants. It's, it's made the environment a terrible place. And so what happens in this kind of flood when God sends his son into these troubled and chaotic waters of the earth? Um, our gospel reading was from Mark 1. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. 
And just as he was coming up out of the water, just as he was coming up out of the waters, he saw the heavens torn apart and the spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son, the beloved, with you I am well pleased. So here here we are, we find ourselves on the edge of the waters. There's a baptism the baptism of the one who will restore all of creation back to the beginning. And we have a bird, a dove, hovering, descending, hovering over the waters of creation. And and here's the the picture this is painting in our minds. This, This, friends, is creation all over again. It's the recipe. Everything that Jesus does in his ministry, darkness will become light, chaos, order, Emptiness will be filled. Every miracle, every teaching, every healing, every relationship, you see those actions starting over and over and over again. The inhabitants will be rescued. And not just that. The environment's restored. The beauty that God intended will be remade through the person of Jesus Christ. This is repeated, by the way, in all four Gospels. Mark's just gotten to it first, skipping over a birth narrative because he's so eager for us to see this picture. What incredible hope this is for us. Those of us who live in a very chaotic and broken world, who see it not not just out there in the world around us, but in here, right? In here, in ourselves. Those of us who would like to partner with God in new creation find that we ourselves have to be remade for God's work to come through us. So before I came to work here at Asbury five years ago, I was pastoring at a megachurch near Houston, Texas. Um, We would think of it as a megachurch, more than 10,000 members, but I will tell you that the big church in town was over twice that size. So when people said, like, do you work at the big church, we would say no the big church was over there. Everything is bigger in Texas, right? So I was the pastor of worship at this church, and we would spend months. We would begin about this time of year planning Easter, planning for the springtime and what we would do around the setting of Easter. And we would plan to welcome an incredible number of guests and members to come and celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. But Easter planning it was actually not that hard. Uh, we did pretty much the same thing every year. We were going to sing Christ the Lord is Risen today. There were going to be Easter lilies. We would read a resurrection passage, usually from John, and the sermon, no spoilers there, would probably be around the empty tomb and Jesus rising again. You don't mess with Easter, right? Easter is Easter. It was Good Friday that was the challenge for us. Uh, Good Friday, we'll just say, had become a bit of an extravaganza at this church. Uh, It started, we had this huge festival outdoors on the grounds, and we invited in the whole community, and we had a fish fry and bouncy houses and a petting zoo, because nothing says the cross of Christ like a petting zoo. And once the festival part ended, we would invite people inside for a huge contemporary worship service. Um, Each year, we would invite big-name speakers or Christian bands who had recorded chart-topping songs. 
Uh, there would be smoke machines and light shows and videos that we ourselves would produce that were professional quality. And um, that, that seems like I'm saying it in a, a pejorative sense, but I will tell you this, that every year people came to know Jesus Christ at this service. And so we believed in it and we worked hard on it. There was fruit. And so we took it very seriously. And I was leading the team to plan this service. And every year, about this time in October, we would begin to ask ourselves, how do we do this same story in a new and totally different way? How do we share the cross of Christ with people through all these artistic gifts, through music and preaching and, uh, and video? And each year we would make these videos that really you could put on any YouTube channel. They would stand up to any professional quality and they would help teach the meaning of the cross. So we had to ask, what could we do that would answer the question, what does the cross of Christ mean for us today? So one particular year we had gathered with our musicians and our media staff and we were asking what kind of video we would produce that year. Um, we would wonder, you know, what what were the videos going to show people about the cross of Christ? And we began reflecting on what we had done the year before, which was a, a little video with three stories in it, three vignettes. It told the story of three situations. One was a couple fighting and considering divorce. One was a teenager contemplating suicide, and one was a man who'd been fired from his job and was feeling worthless. And each of those stories played out, and then we launched into the worship service. And then sometime later in the service, we went back to a video. We showed those same stories again, the same situations, only this time. In each situation, Jesus would appear, like we hired an actor to play Jesus. And we put a crown of thorns and a robe and, and a, like a very heavy cross. And Jesus would drag the cross into each story, into the driveway where the couple was fighting into the bedroom where the teenager was contemplating suicide, into the, the office where the man had just been fired, and their situations. And in each situation, everything would change. Not, not what had happened, but everything in them. And we would show how the cross had transformed their situation, their individual life. So we were reflecting on that. We thought we had done a pretty good job that year before on those videos. But as we tried to imagine this year, one of the one of the media staff, um, media at a church like that is often guys, I'll call them guys because they were often all male, in their early to middle 20s, just graduated with communication degrees from college, not theological degrees, not ministry training. Um, but this one spoke up and he, he said, um, those videos from last year, they just seem too small. That picture's just too small. What do, what do you mean, we said? Well, he said, don't you remember what Jessica preached about a couple weeks ago? And I was shocked because I didn't know anybody remembered what I preached about, much less the people in the media booth. Thank you for listening up there. And he said, you know, she talked about this new creation thing with that verse from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But I remember what she said. I was like, thank the Lord, somebody remembers. I remember what she said. He said, it's not there is a new creation. It's not he is a new creation. It's just new creation. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. Our encountering of the cross of Christ brings about what God meant from the very beginning. He said, these stories, they're too small. We need all of creation in this video, okay? So how are we going to do that? How will we make that live in a video? Well, he said, the video will start with the beauty of creation, a garden 
and the glory God has made, the first sunrise, and the people that God loves. And then we'll show the story of the fall, the serpent and the fruit. And then we'll show the descent of all humanity, the flood and the tower and chaos unfolding. We'll show families falling apart in famine and war and devastation. Acid rain will kill trees and plague will decimate populations. Rainforests will be cut down. The Hindenburg will explode. Hitler will rise to power and march people into concentration camps. Martin Luther King Jr. will be assassinated. Bombs would be dropped. We'll show the long spiral of descent of God's creation back into chaos. And then he said, then, then we'll just show the cross. And we'll show the tomb. And the light coming out of it will be like the light that we showed on that first day of creation. And so people will get the point. We'll take that whole video we made, all those current events and past ones, and we'll just play it in reverse, right? The Hindenburg will, will go back up. People will come out of concentration camps. The rainforest will be restored. Families back together, get together, waters recede. Natural disasters will reverse and go back into the clouds. All of it, all of it will come back and we'll show it right back to that first morning of creation. And then he quoted the Lord of the Rings because guys in their 20s often get their theology from Lord of the Rings. He said, it's like Sam Ganji said to Gandalf, it's like everything sad will become untrue. All of creation will start again just because of the cross. And I was so proud of this little worship team. I thought, they got it. They got the picture. And, and to be truthful, I think now God was giving me a little glimpse of what it was like to do discipleship through worship planning something he would call me to do here, 100 services a year. And they got it. And so we made this video, and, and here's the problem. You know that in ministry, there's like what works in theory and what works in reality, and they're not always the same thing. So these families went to the fish fry, and they jumped in the bouncy houses, and they pet the donkey at the petting zoo, and then we called them all in, and as they walked into the worship space, the Hindenburg exploded. And there was Hitler and the concentration camps and families falling apart. And children were whimpering and asking their mommy what this movie was. And uh, it wasn't pretty. Let's just say that um, it was not the cheeriest start to a community worship service ever. And I got emails about it for quite some time. <laughs> so we got it wrong. But we didn't. It was right. It was right. If anyone is in Christ, new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. The Spirit loves, loves, friends, chaos. The Spirit nests over chaos. If you find disorder or trouble or chaos in your life, look up pretty quickly because God loves to come and hover and bless. And new life can begin again. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.